Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Joe, the CTO at Liquid Web, and we discuss the advantages of bringing in a subject matter expert, when it makes sense to build versus buy, and we dive deep into the financials that all CTOs should know. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Joe. Joel, nice to meet you. What's up, buddy? Living the dream. Dude, me too, man. How are you? Good. I'm in Atlanta, so it's uh hopefully we don't we're not interrupted by some thunderstorms today. Yeah, we're down in Florida. I saw some rain clouds our way. Where are you at in Florida? Like an hour south of Tampa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just got a message yesterday through our website. Somebody and Atlanta like nominated me to come speak at some event. I was like, wow. Oh, yeah. So I might be in Atlanta soon. Yeah. Let me know if you make it up here. Um, I saw that you guys, like I was reading about what you do and how, what's, what's the tagline? You're the most friendly, friendly, most people. helpful humans in hosting. I love it. Did you come up with that? No, our, our talented marketing team came up with it. The, the history of Liquid Web was historically uh, really playing off the fanatical support of, of Rackspace and created heroic support. But we felt like that was limiting um, really to really what the magnitude of the impact that we have. And so the most helpful humans in hosting, we help you during the sales process process during the migration process uh, and always through support so we love the broadening of that term so how did you like end up there so background for me um, real quick uh, computer science undergrad great post CS degree at IBM and then uh, did an MBA at the University of Texas great post MBA degree um, I like to say at Booz Allen and Hamilton which is one of the world's most talented uh, management consulting firms, a couple of IT leadership positions in between, and then a 15-year run at a company called Beyond, which the CEO of our current company uh, was the CEO there. He and I and another woman who leads our managed application business unit um, built a an organization up from zero revenue to about a half a billion in revenue before going public and then ultimately selling it called CBeyond, which was a one of the leaders at providing telecommunications services to small businesses, both voice and data, and ultimately mobile services, and then toward the end, cloud services like Cloud PBX or traditional cloud server. So after selling the business, we were, you know, classic, what do you do next? And you go, let's get the band back together and do something. And looked at a number of opportunities and found Liquid Web uh, in that was up for sale. The founder owner had been in the business about 15 years and was looking for to exit uh, and find, you know, that his next career pursuit. And so we bought the business and used it as a platform for, for growing both organically and inorganically. Oh, nice. So you and who, you were one of the buyers, like you got together with who? So the CEO uh, of CBeyond, Jim Geiger, myself and a woman, Carrie Wheeler, all worked together at CBeyond. We partnered with a large private equity company called Madison Dearborn Partners in Chicago. And we bought Liquid Web in the middle of 2015. Time flies when you're having fun. And what's your primary like business at Liquid Web? 
So we like to say, obviously, being the most helpful humans in hosting is our primary business, but uh, in, specifically, we, we target what we'll call the web professional space, and I can define that in a second, with hosting and software solutions to really enable them to, to host um, uh, websites, uh, e-commerce stores, or applications that are making money on the web. And they differ a little bit from, from what I'll call the lower end of the market, which is typically dominated by GoDaddy or, or Wix or Weebly or brands that we all heard of that really are chasing the consumer and what I'll call SMB brochureware business that are typically folks that are spending $10 a month on hosting. So that's kind of down market. We're in the middle market. I'll come back a little bit on the middle market. And then the high end of the market is what we all know is what I'll call the born on the web companies that have huge consumption of, uh, of hosting or the enterprise or mid market that are typically spending tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a month as we're looking now at some of the financial S1s of some of these companies that are going public. We're in the middle. Our customer tends to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars a month, which indicates that to us that they're making money on the web. They tend to be organizations that have less than five employees and less than a million dollars in revenue. So really the small S of the SMB. The key is every dollar that they tend to spend on technology is to design and develop that site, store, or application. And so when it comes to making that real on this thing we love to call the internet, it, they really want to find a managed hosting provider, someone that will help them. Because I'm sure you know in the technology world, nothing's more frustrating than saying my site's hacked or it's, or it's slow or it's down. And, and the hoster saying it's not my problem, it's the application problem. And the application person saying, no, it's a hosting problem or it's a caching problem or dot, 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 dot. That's where what we found in our 20 years of really going after the SMB segment is where SMBs really value service the most. They obviously want a, a good product at a good price, but service is typically paramount in terms of creating strategic differentiation. And we'll talk about it as we go through this, but we've been trying to buy companies in this space. So we probably looked at over 100 different companies, probably more than that, probably 150 in the last four and a half years. So when you're looking at these companies to try to buy them, um, is that like something that you spend a lot of time doing or do you have like a team dedicated to that? No, I spend about a third of my time actually on what we'll call corporate development. So looking for opportunities to add folks that'll either complement our managed hosting business, which we can define, our managed application hosting business, which we can define. And then we've recently started up um, a, what I'll call a software side of the business that again, is trying to bring software solutions to these web professionals to make them more efficient and effective in the site stores or applications that, that they're creating. So I'm curious, I wanna dive a little bit into the M&A stuff because I really, I'm just a fan of that topic. Um, so when you're, when you're looking for these other companies to buy, um, like how, what, is, what is your, for lack of a better term, what does your sales process look like? And I'll give you some examples. So uh, we have a leadership company and we've had some of the bigger leadership companies that are like in the top 10 in the, in the, in the world, like reach out and say, Hey, we might be interested in making an investment in you. We want to like learn about your product and things like that. And I've been like, eh, 
but I think it's like a pipeline. I think what they're looking for is like, they know their segments in their business and they're trying to see if like a smaller company in the market could fit into one of the areas where they don't serve their customers. Is that, is that how you guys look at it? Yes and no. So, you know, it's like everything in life, it's always more complicated <laughs> than, yeah. than it would seem on the surface. So, so let's talk about M&A and we can talk about it from a proactive perspective and we can talk about it from a reactive perspective. And what I mean by proactive is us going and looking for targets and initiating conversations, right? Folks that we think fit, fit with our business and I can define fit. Um, or reactive, which is someone that's trying to shop a business, whether it's a broker or an investment bank that is saying, Joe and team at Liquid Web, you guys should look at this asset. So on the proactive side, actually, let's talk about what's common and then we'll talk about what's different. So right. on what's common is for us is we are, and, and I always encourage any company that's going to go into the M&A track to be very militant about your focus because there are more companies to buy and there's more companies that are for sale than your day in the hours you have in a day. So you have to be very focused around um, M&A about what is it you're trying to do? And so for us, we, at a high level, we break that down into two different buckets. Um, but there's common themes across those two buckets. So the common themes are we're militant that it has to be the same type of customer that we're serving today. So we'll call this web professional again that I defined earlier. So that's number one. Number two, our calling card is service, right? The most helpful humans in hosting. So we don't want to acquire a software asset or a hosting asset that has a terrible service reputation because that would be not um, aligned with our overall master strategy. So those two things kind of provide a North Star for us. The two different types of acquisitions um, that we look at are what we'll call straight customer acquisitions, which is you have customers that are using the same products that hosting products or software products that that we are providing to our customers will acquire those customers onto our platform we likely don't need your people we don't need your systems we don't need your technology so that's a strict customer acquisition play which is not uncommon in the service provider space whether you're thinking telco or hosting or other managed services and that's really a scale play, right? Just getting more scale so I have more revenue so I can spend more on marketing, more on development. And scale does matter in, in service-related industries. The second type of acquisition is what we'll call a capability. So you're targeting a similar customer to us, but you have a product that is different from our product. We've done a number of we've done we've done a number of both kinds of acquisitions, and so in that case, you have a service offering that is complementary to what we provide. It provides an awesome upsell cross sell opportunity to our base, or provides a well, we like another tagline that we like to use a lot. In addition to the most helpful humans in hosting, is that we have a product for every web professional project, and so for us, we're constantly and as a CTO of the organization. I'm constantly looking at opportunities where we can, you know, be true to that in terms of what are other capabilities that we're seeing that web professionals need that we could acquire or develop internally that would provide that capability. Yeah. So my background is like product engineering. And while you're, while you're talking about this, it's like, if you have a comp, if you have a team that's like already built a product for them to 
either port that product or rebuild it is so much faster the second time, like after you do something the first time. And so I, I've, I used to think like, oh, why would they buy that and then not use the technology, but they just had the team rebuild it on their platform. Then I realized, oh, okay. Cause like, like, or why wouldn't they just do it internally? Right. Why would they mm-hmm. actually purchase that company to come build it inside of theirs? And then I realized, oh, it's because there's so much domain specific knowledge. Uh, you could just do it incredibly fast. Yeah, the whole build buyer partner framework is the one that we use all the time in terms of is it faster for us to build it? Typically, it's always going to be cheaper to build it. Right. But but time to market and relevancy to market are key. And partner typically is a hard thing to do unless, you know, it's, you just see a small fraction of your customers that are going to use it because the economics don't work, at least in our, especially in the SMB space. It's really hard to small business um, space. It's really hard to make the economics worth if you've, if you've got to feed, if that revenue has got to feed two organizations. And so it typically becomes a build versus buy. And you look at buy and you typically... The number one criteria tends to be execution risk, right? I like to say with time and money, any technologist can accomplish anything. The question is, what's your appetite for risk? Um, and and so you'll, you might spend more. We've done it several times where we've spent more to reduce execution risk. But I will also say that the advantage you get when you do an acquisition is that you also get customers and revenue. Um, rarely have we done or considered, I'm sorry, we haven't done any and we rarely considered any acquisitions that were so early stage that the viability, you know, eliminating that execution risk um, was not possible because they were so early because then it becomes really, okay, if they're, if they're just getting started, then our execution risk in terms of go to market is a lot less. Yeah. Like I like how you defined uh, your mindset, like your mindset of you could build anything with enough time because I've always like when people say, Oh, like a time machine is impossible. I'm like, well, is it, (laughs) do you have a few million dollars? Like we can, we can give this thing a shot. We can at least move the ball down the field. You know? I agree. I agree. There's a lot of problems that uh, with the right time and money um, are are definitely achievable. So what type of technologies are you really excited about working with? Well, today in our space, I'll talk a little bit about what we're doing from a customer perspective, and then I'll talk about things that are kind of more behind the scenes. But from a customer perspective, and I know you're probably seeing this yourself, but simplification always dominates the landscape, especially the small business landscape. Everybody wants something easier, right? We went from command lines to Windows and and the Mac, right? A graphical user interface. And it's surprising to me, you really have to go back about 10 years ago. And in the hosting world, folks were really using command line interfaces or what I'll call old school control panels to manage their servers and their hosting. And what happened about 10 years ago is the advent of what we'll call managed applications. We call managed applications, but, um, but pr- predominantly it started with managed WordPress, where, where, where hosting companies were giving 
individuals a SaaS-based, a really intuitive user interface to manage one or multiple WordPress implementations. And so you could build, launch, and manage a WordPress implementation with a user interface that my mom could understand, not a control panel that I, that I put in front of my computer science son who's at Georgia Tech and is like, what is this? Um, so it's something that's more intuitive and easier to use. And more importantly, it abstracts the data center, it abstracts the server, it abstracts a lot of that internet infrastructure complexity. So as the end consumer, whether I'm in a small business or I'm what we'll call a web creator, a designer developer, a small digital agency that is helping create that site store application for the business center, it abstracts them from all of that technical details and allows them to really focus on the site store application. Like what, what technology specifically? Like, no, no, right. that's great. Yeah. I, I, good. Keep, keep probing. Cause sometimes I, I lose track and like, I want to get nerdy <laughs> here, man. Or like, are, yeah, you, are yeah, you doing yeah. anything with R and D? Like get, give me something, give me something juicy. Like what do you got? Okay. What's making you excited in the morning? Yeah. So let's start. Let me finish the customer and then I promise to come back to the internal. So the customer stuff that really makes me excited is building this SaaS based user interface that really takes hosting companies beyond just providing a good server and good storage and good bandwidth, but really takes the hosting companies like Liquid Web and really we're using Nexus as the brand for all of our managed apps but take them to the next level, which is provide capabilities like image compression or um, we have this really cool capability we call visual compare, which in the WordPress, WooCommerce, and Magento space, there's a litany of third-party uh, plugins or extensions, and we have a capability that takes a copy of your site, puts it down in the staging environment, applies that extension, looks, you know, does visual compare in an AI world, and then also looks at some logs and says, I'm 99.99% sure that this plugin update did not break your site. I'm gonna go ahead and apply it to production, and if I do find something that's an issue, I'm gonna halt that plugin update and send you an email and say, I couldn't automatically upgrade your site because because I found an issue when I went to go apply this plugin. How would you like to proceed? Okay, now we're so, cooking. Um, yeah. Yeah, now, now you now, now that you start is to badass. Go. Yeah. Did you guys so, design we, that? Or Yeah, it, we designed that what? with WordPress. We designed that for WordPress. We've yeah, uh, it's obviously extendable to WooCommerce since WooCommerce is really a plugin for for WordPress and we've recently are in the process of porting that to our managed Magento customers. So, really cool capability. We call it an up you know, an upgrade free or an upgrade, painless upgrade process and automation, which really, which what's really exciting to me, Joel, is it gets a hosting company into the value added software and service space and not just a, um, what I'll call dumb compute, dumb, you know, network, dumb storage, but we're providing value added services on top. Yeah. Like it takes kind of like the commodity space, like, you know, how much am I right. paying for this bandwidth or, or servers? And now it's like, oh, you've got what? You know, that sounds like it could eventually even be like a, a, a spinoff or something. But so, so tell me, I want to know, like, how did this come up? Like, did it, so an engineer come up to you and says, you know, like, hey, I have this idea. Like, how did this actually materialize within the organization? 
Yeah, great question. So I mentioned that the managed WordPress space started about 10 years ago and our journey started about three years ago. And so we hired one of the leading authorities in the industry, Chris Lemma, uh, on the, in the WordPress space. And when we started to say, okay, we're, you know, I think when I was hiring Chris about three years ago, Chris said, we're a little late to the WordPress space. And I said, okay, Chris, so, you know, put, you know you're one of the smartest brains in this space. How are we going to differentiate? And this was one of the key features that Chris came up with since a number of companies have duplicated that process. Um, so we're working on our next rounds of, okay. of innovation in that space, which are really going to focus around workflow management. You know, really, we take for granted in more mid-market enterprise the ease in which um, we built infrastructure to move from dev to test to production and then back down that stack right and worry about how are we going to do a database I don't want to I don't want to bring data down from production into dev and all of a sudden send in a bunch of customers emails so that whole dev workflow process approval process migrating code content and data across different environments up and down the stack is is a problem that that we're going to tackle in the first half of this year I love that and and a similar one and a similar one is on what we'll call, the industry calls it application performance monitoring, but I'm gonna call it more server and application monitoring for this discussion. Really what's always been lacking in a hosting world is to, to, traditionally we'll tell you your server's down or your server's up, and we may tell you a few more things like you're running out of disk space or you're running hot on RAM or, or CPU, but that's really the extent of it. We believe in the managed application world, and we'll take it over to the managed hosting world too because it's still very relevant. We'd like to tell you which SQL queries are causing your website to be slow. We'd like to tell you, um, here's pages that you're serving that are, getting, that are getting 404 notifications. Basically, how can we as a host, we have this powerful set of data. How do we turn that data into information? and give it to you proactively so we're highlighting issues for you rather than the normal, the normal process in hosting goes like this, which is I see an issue, I probably check a lot because I'm the application provider, and I try to figure out if it's mine, I can't figure it out, then I call the host, and we're in reactive discovery mode all the time when production, you know, my end customer experience is failing. We want to be that, we like to, I like to call it, we want to be smoky bear. We want to put out fires before they, before they occur. And I know I'm dating myself with that reference, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> no, I, all right. So I want to back it up because uh, I've ever been to a, a no fluff, just stuff event. No. Okay. I highly recommend them. They're like the anti comp. It's like, imagine a conference without vendors. Okay. And you pay for a ticket and you go and instead of the sessions being 30 minute like PowerPoint presentations, they're 90 minute deep, deep dive with like hands on practitioners. Right? Wow. They're, it's quite possibly the most amazing thing. I, I just went to my first one in December, like two months ago and got okay. to experience it. And I was just blown away. They have a tour. They're in like 20 different cities throughout the year. They bring these like experts. To all, anyways. So definitely shout out to them because I was standing in line getting food, right? And I was having the conversation of exactly the problems you were talking about, about taking data down from production because you, you've got all these hooks and you want to make sure that like emails don't get sent or cards 
payment tokens don't get mm-hmm. charged. There's like a million things to think about. And, you know, I've been building applications forever and, and there's like each, each one sort of unique and the problem progresses. And uh, so when you told me you were working on that, I was like, yes, because uh, being able to push data through those workflows is, is super, super cool. And so I like that you brought that up and that you guys are working on that. Yes. What's amazing to me is, you know, WordPress powers one third of the internet websites, right? And WooCommerce is, you know, its growth curve and adoption curve is almost on pace, if not slightly ahead of WordPress from a e-commerce perspective. And Magento is, even with all of the, uh, press and rightfully so for Shopify, Magento still has more installs. Those, those technologies are fascinating open source projects, but the one downfall of being community sourced open source projects is the things that we tend to think about that are typically more ingrained in commercial solutions isn't there. And so that's why hosting providers, it's an opportunity to step in and fill the void so that you can create that, you know, what we'll call environment management or environment workflow management system because an individual designer, developer, digital agency can't do that. Um, you know, so that's why we're excited about, we, we love to solve problems for thousands of customers rather than just tens of customers. Yeah, I also want to highlight uh, your Chris Lemma move, right? And the reason is, is because I get a lot of people that reach out from the show and they're like, they, they really like it because they can, they can listen to people like you and sort of adopt your mindset. Like you can read a book and adopt the mindset of the author with their voice, right? You can extend it and cont- it's like a superpower as humans have, but we don't talk about it a lot. Like we can emulate these other people's personality profiles just by listening to them. And your mindset um, that, or, or I'll back up and say, one of the things I've been talking about lately is, uh, CTOs and their ability as executives to actually look in the marketplace, uh, figure out what problems they're having or what areas their business is heavily dependent upon, and then finding uh, a subject matter expert or some sort of uh, you know name in the space and then hiring them. Essentially, like hiring people that could mentor them in that subject or that could be the expert at their company. And that's a move. That's like an executive move. It's a thing you can do. And people actually reached out to me on LinkedIn. They're like, well, I had no idea I could do that. They're like, I always read this guy's, you know, books on Ruby or books on this topic. I had no idea I could ever just, you know, look them up. They're alive and they're they're often doing consulting and you could give them an attractive enough offer to get them to come over to your company if it, if it makes financial sense. So I, I want like, I want you to, uh, I guess, unpack that a little bit. When was the first time you realized you could do that or yeah, what inspired you to do that? It's a great question. Uh, you know, early in your career, especially folks, you, know, you seem like you have a similar profile to me, right? The type A personalities, right? <laughs> you, you, you learn, hey, hard work begets success, right? But then as you make that journey from individual contributor to manager and then from manager to leader, you realize that you can't scale, right? That, and you know, I think there was a powerful point probably about 15 years ago when a leadership, I was kind of my first foray into senior leadership and a leadership coach said, listen, Joe, life will be easier if you hire smarter people than you to work for you. Uh, and it was really, that sounds so simple and it's a little bit contrite, but it truly is the case, right? Which is if you can hire 
folks that really in that area are way smarter than you, uh, then your ability to create more value in the organization really can focus more on the integration across organizations or, or said a different way. I'm able to spend a third of my time today, which I love to do on M&A. I couldn't do that if I didn't have the folks working for me today that are effectively running the business. And I know this is a little bit aside, but four of my direct reports came through M&A. So the, yes, you can go hire people, but you can also go acquire some companies where you go, whoa, that person is incredible. Um, and really, you know, three of the four came to us because of the, you know, their technical superior depth. Um, when you looked at, you know, their impact, you know, not only in the part of the business that we acquired, but you said, oh my gosh, that can make, that can make a huge impact um, for us. And, and now, and thank you for sharing that. And, and now I want to talk about your, your monitoring that you mentioned, right? I'm over here taking yep. notes. All right. Cause you say so many good things. I'm like, I want to address them all. <laughs> <laughs> so idea that was right through my head. Um, so when you say, you know, this page load is slow, what, like, is there a button there that's like, fix this and they pay you to fix it? Or like, what's the action that they can then take from that analytic? Yeah, I think, I think Gen 1, it's going to be turning the data in and information. I think we're probably going to be a ways away, you know, and I say a ways away, it goes back to time and money. Um, <laughs> we'll be a ways away from the, what I'll call auto, um, auto correction, right? I mean, there's some things that you could correct, but there's some things that we can't correct. Um, we're not in, you know, we don't have access to customers' code bases, so you can't go in there and start changing SQL queries. Uh, so I think a lot of what we'll do, I mean, things that are in our domain, like some of this, you know, what I called server and application monitoring, the servers we do control. So there's some things that we can look at and really distill more what's going on in the hardware and side of it more, even more comprehensively than we do today. Those we will probably provide to a monitoring group and they'll do manual correction but really that thing gives us a blueprint like anything else, right? That's a business process that becomes a blueprint for I'm doing this activity over and over and over again. So why don't I create some artificial intelligence? I hate to overuse that word, but why don't I create some automation that does that? I discover this, I do that. I discover this, I do that. And so I think really in the first half of the year for us, and frankly, I think it'll probably take us through the first three quarters of the year, I'll be really happy if we can be in the, we've taken this massive amount of data that we've collected. And this is the, all this data collection we deployed in Q4 and we're doing it in Q1. If in Q2 and Q3, we can take that mound of data collection and sift through it and turn it into information and provide it internally for the things that we can control and externally for the customers, I'll be extremely ecstatic. And then really in Q4 and, and really into 2021, I think that can be the next game changer for us in terms of, you know, who would want to leave Liquid Web Managed WordPress in a world where we're making your upgrades painless? We are, we are mining every bit of data and telling you what, you know, proactively dealing with all the infrastructure issues and then telling you where we see application or database performance issues, why would anybody ever leave, right? I mean, we're painting a, a scenario where 
if you left, you would lose a lot of capabilities, especially if you if the workflow capability is there. All of a sudden, we get these robust set of capabilities that you can't get somewhere else. It'll be it'll be a a good time at Liquid Web and Nexus uh, um, when we are able to bring those capabilities to market. Yeah, well, I mean, I think about times that I left services and. Um, it's really like you either don't need it at all anymore because mm -hmm. you failed to run your business. <laughs> it's gone. Um, or you, um, you switch because of some feature that you have to have, like something that's critical because it's a lot of work to switch or because of a massive price decrease. I think the prices have kind of like all leveled out pretty well. Um, so it's, I think it's going to come down to like, like I wouldn't switch unless that there was, yeah, like a huge price difference and even then we're paying so like it's that's so not expensive that i don't know even if somebody was like it's it's uh 90 cheaper i'd be like but the amount of time it would take me to move my stuff would it would take me five years to recoup that cost if i value my time the way i do right or uh or some feature that you have to have so as long as you keep up with those features and you keep them happy and you keep that service being the differentiator then then really, I guess you would focus on the part of the market with like the people who are coming online, like the new customers entering the market. Correct. I mean, we, we use this in the hosting world. I know we use it a lot in Liquid Web. We use this phrase called people make decisions typically in moments of pain, right? My site's <laughs> down, my store's down, I'm hacked. You know, this last support experience, you know, sent me into the, you know, stratosphere um, from with dissatisfaction. So that's the pain side, right? The gain side, though, is really is really the the biggest secret in hosting that most people don't talk about. Liquid Web, no different than I would probably say ninety five percent of other hosting companies. Addition fifty plus percent of additional revenue comes from in a, in a monthly basis comes from our existing customers. Why? Because their workload expands. My site store application is getting more users. I need more infrastructure, or I have a, another workload that I'm firing up, and why would I go somewhere else? And so for us, you know, when we think about product development, obviously we're doing it to retain our customers, and we want that next workload to be on a Liquid Web or a Nexus um, platform. But we also do it because that might that may help us in the rare cases where where folks aren't in pain today, but we can paint a picture of all these capabilities that you could gain, right? So my, my poster child for that is, if I'm in WordPress, if I'm in WordPress today, and if I'm a digital agency and I'm managing 100 sites, and, and if I have to spend every Monday going through the upgrade of all these plugin and themes, and I spend a full-time resource, you know, at least a half a day, maybe a day, applying these patches and updates and remediating issues, and that all goes away with our visual compare, that's a huge gain of efficiency that that person could have been billable towards a client project versus being internally focused and just keeping things running. And so I think how we can paint that you get gain by having additional capabilities that make your organization, when I say your, the small business or the web creators organization, more efficient, more effective, because they're spending less time with managing environments, less time trying to go figure out why something isn't performing, why, you know, like it, like they expected, which is our monitoring solution, or the visual compare. 
those three examples, you could clearly paint a really positive, here's why you should switch even though you're not in pain because here's how much you could gain. I like it. Now, is there any, is there any association between liquid web and liquid templates? No, not sure. No. I know liquid templates. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. It's uh yeah. It's just like variable replacement, like a popular, I think it's like a popular open source project. Uh, I, Oh, you know what? Actually, I think Shopify might have invented that like liquid templating language, but, um, or they just adopted it. And, but, I'm curious, how do you see like a Shopify? Like what do they set on your radar in your ecosystem? Yeah, Shopify in our mind is really going after that same customer. That, and a customer that spends hundreds or thousands of dollars a month. I think their entry price point is 29 and then they've got $2,500 or more plans. What's interesting about Shopify, they've had just tremendous growth, which validates in our minds the e-commerce opportunity in the small business world. Right, we all know as consumers that more and more of retail spend in the United States is moving from brick and mortar into online, but it's really come down to the SMB space. And we're seeing a lot more adoption and a lot more small businesses that have stores online, whether those are physical stores that are doing delivery or digital stores that may have content to download or uh, subscription services uh, for as an example. But Shopify has kind of validated that SMB e-commerce is here to stay. What, what a lot of folks like about Shopify is it's, you know, it brings that SaaS-based, really intuitive experience to, to start a store. But on the flip side, like a lot of closed platforms versus the open platforms of, of uh, WooCommerce and Magento, you you're you're linked you're, you're locked into certain ways that Shopify does business and so if you don't like how they do payments or taxation or shipping you know you're you have a finite number in some cases one option versus in the Magento space or the WooCommerce space there's I like to say there's a plug-in for every business uh, functionality in the WordPress WooCommerce and Magento space so you have Un, or you can write your own or have somebody write your own. So there, you have infinite flexibility around your business. And so we're excited that it, it's provided validation. It's really the, it's the number one reason why we bought Nexus uh, middle of last year was really to kind of jump with both feet into the, you know, what I'll call burgeoning e-commerce business space serving the SMBs. So when you find a company you want to buy, do you already have like your VC? Do you guys like plan with your VC or your, uh, you, you don't have private VC, equity. You, have, you have PE. Private equity. Yeah. Do yeah. you plan with your PE? Like, okay, we have a, like a market potential of this many dollars in acquisition or, and then you, and you go tap that money when, when you need it. Or like, how do you orchestrate the relationship between, all right, I found this company, I want to buy them and now I've got to get the money to, to do it. Yeah, great question. So we tend to we tend to create an, an M and A strategy, right? Which we talked about before, which is we want folks that are targeting the same business with services they're calling card, and then that that really kind of aligns us and our investors, Madison Dearborn Partners, which are phenomenal partners. Um, they we then go and find opportunities, and then we bring it back, right? And, it, and it's it's no different than any other business case, which is 
we want to buy this company. Here's what, here's the customers they serve. Here's the products they provide. Here's the team behind it. Um, if it's, if it's a capability hire, here's their revenue, here's their profitabilities. Here's what we think are go is going to happen. Um, post acquisition in terms of revenue and profitability trajectory. And then here's why we think we should buy them. And here's, here's what ultimately we think that acquisition will have on the value creation that we're trying to create from liquid web. And so I know value creation is used a lot in buzzword bingo, but let's, let's make it real for a second. So liquid web, when we bought the company was a little over $60 million in revenue on an annual basis. In 2000, what is it, 2020, geez, I'm still having a hard time February. I know, that. me too. Um, 2020, you know, our revenues will be a little over $140 million. So our profitability has increased from kind of the, you know, um, mid-20s to the low 30s percent from an earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. Sometimes people call it EBITDA, some people sometimes call it operating income. Um, you know, I'm not an accountant net cash by flow. day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, net cash flow is different because net cap cash flow factors in capital expenditures. So, okay. so when you go buy a server, you go buy an HVAC unit or a uh, a generator for a data center. You buy that asset and then you depreciate it over a number of years of the useful life. And so those numbers are that's the D in in EBITDA, right? Earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. So that is below the line, and the net income is below that. Um, so think revenue, gross margin, uh, call it EBITDA, and then net income. And then you have the accounting world, and they all have their different. <laughs> yes, and then you have, yeah. are you gap accounting? Are you cash accounting? Are you accrual accounting? Yeah, there's a lot of, I, I've learned a lot about, uh, you know, I have an MBA in training, but acquisitions have really amped up my understanding of the financial world, which is fascinating for me to really understand. You know, I was talking to a potential acquisition candidate who said, oh, no, no, we're doing accrual accounting. I said, well, I don't want to say that I'm an accountant, but that's not true. And let me walk you through, <laughs> let me walk you through a simple example as to why that's not true. Because when you sell a 12 month subscription, you're amortizing it. I'm sorry, you're amortizing that revenue. You're taking all that revenue in the current month. And if you were accruing that revenue, it should be one twelfth of that revenue in the next 12 periods. Now I have a question for you. Is there a difference in my mind, gap and accrual are the same. Is there a difference between them or not? No, no gap and accrual are the okay. same. Largely right. the same. Think of gap is um, added, um, added accounting principles uh, uh, by the accounting firms to, you know, that are much broader than cash or accrual accounting. Cause I keep, we are, our books are kept in like gap uh, or like, yeah, they call the right it gap, thing. it's accrual, right? Cause we do the, yes. the revenue, right? So I have, whenever I'm raising money, I'm out there and it's amazing how I'll explain to these people who I'm raising money from how I keep my numbers. I keep a separate or like in the spreadsheet, I keep my cash flow accounting. Yes, like, and that's separate from my uh, gap or accrual accounting because I need to actually run the business. Correct. It's great that Correct. I said I recognize this much money in revenue this month. That has nothing to do with the cash that's in my account. Absolutely, and by the way, kudos to you because I would say of the businesses that we've looked at, ninety-eight percent live in a cash accounting world. But any acquirer of you or the like, like us, that is what I'll call professional money back. 
right, which is either a public company, a VC-backed company, or a private equity company, they're going to do all of their accounting and, and insist all the accounting be done in, in accrual-based. And so one of the things that tends to be a big impediment during the diligence process is converting everything from cash to accrual, which for a service business and a recurring revenue business is not easy to do. I know. Shout out to Will, my CFO. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, you're, in, like, you're in great hands, it sounds like. Yeah, he's taught me just an incredible amount. And I'm always showing the investors, they'll say, like, I think we're doing like, you know, thirty, thirty thousand dollars a month right now in recognized revenue. But then I show them like our deferred revenue schedule of like four hundred thousand dollars. And I'm like, because it takes time like we made a bunch of sales, we figured out what we were doing, and we have a six month sales cycle. We figured out what we were doing, and now it's just going to take a long time for that to catch up on our on our recognized revenue. So it makes valuations and conversations pretty interesting. No, but in the time when it's right for you to sell, the buyers will love you and your accountant because you're an easier entity to do business with. Yeah, and, and it doesn't scare them. I found out that like, if you do show them like sales, they're scared. Oh, oh no, why did, why did you get 70,000 in sales this quarter and you only did 20? And it's like, calm down, like, because we're a startup. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Everybody, everyone loves, you know, everyone loves recurring revenue. And, and, and if you can't be 100%, you know, recurring in nature, accrual accounting converts it into, know. you know, flat revenue, right? And so it looks, everybody loves to buy a business that is stable and ideally up and to the right, right? <laughs> and so if you can show that business, it, it's harder to do in a cash world, right? Where you have lumpiness of, of sales that you're making. So that's why accrual-based businesses avoid all of the accounting, the accrual-based way from a revenue perspective creates more predictability and just eliminates a whole bunch of drama during the, the acquisition process. So uh, other than just doing it, which is how I learned, right? Um, it, did you ever find any resources useful? Did you, did you learn from any sites or anything when you, like let's say we have CTOs listening or VPs of engineering and they're like, I wanna learn how to read a PNL or I wanna kinda learn what these guys are talking about with this accounting. Uh, do you have any resources to recommend by chance? Yeah, the, the number one one I would recommend, especially if you're a CTO, it that title by itself tends to kind of imply you're part of a bigger organization. And so I would, you know, I would definitely, you know, you can definitely get your hands on some good accounting, you know, general textbooks, but I'm telling you the most valuable resource is the accounting and finance resources that you already have a relationship with, right? And so typically, you know, a lot of technology folks tend to see the CFO or the, or the, or the controller or the finance folks, I don't call them the enemy because they're trying to manage cost, but you know, it tends to be an adversarial relationship. But if you can turn that into one where you're learning from them, um, and to me, I think most people that are in the technology, especially in the leadership position, are in this constant learning mode. So if you, you know, I like to say, hey, there's no dumb, you know, there's no dumb questions, and I ask a lot of them, so I'm glad there's not. Um, I, I think it's this mentality of I want to learn, right? It's it's really interesting, you know, in the in the technology world, like half the time I, you know, I, I have no problem. Like when you said liquid templates, I, I don't know what that means. I'm not gonna try to yeah. think my way through it. But a lot of people will do that in outside of the technology world. They'll go, okay, you know, you're saying EBITDA, I don't really know what that means, but I'm gonna shake my head. If you don't understand something, 
ask because you'll find that it's easily understandable. And the beauty with accounting and finance is it's, at the end of the day, it's just numbers, which by the way, anybody that's typically strong in technology is strong in math. And so you, send, you tend to go, oh, I can get it. Walk me through a math example, right? And so to me, my number one, my number one advice is tap into the resources that you already have, right? If your company has got a controller or they've got a finance person or they've got an external accountant, tap into those folks and they're better prepared to tell you how to learn their craft than I am. And then, and then don't be shy, ask questions because you're going to get exposed in the last four and a half years here. I've gotten exposed to a lot on the financial and the accounting side that were brand new to me. And this mantra of there's no dumb questions and I want to learn everything there is to learn has helped me, you know, helped me, helped me become really even better at my job because I've been able to spot, okay, that's going to be a problem. Um, I'm telling you right now, I can tell before I even bring in my finance and accounting folks, this is going to be a problem. Um, and so it just makes you even more efficient and effective at your job. And frankly, you understand, as you know, and being a, an SMB owner, you, 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 your level of knowledge of a business is dramatically increased when you understand where, how cash is coming in and how cash is going out. It makes you, makes you uh, as a technologist, it makes you enjoy sales. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh man, this is by far my favorite conversation on accounting and like numbers and <laughs> you know, it, and here's the thing too, when like the things that aren't talked about a lot, um, you know, it, they, they need to be talked about a little bit more, especially when I'm getting questions about them and I don't have good resources. Now I have a, now I have an episode whenever somebody's like, Hey, I want to learn more about, you know, accounting before I'm like, I don't know. I'll ask people on a future show and I usually get like a soundbite or something, but you're incredibly knowledgeable. And so now I'm going to point to this episode. Great. Glad I could help my, my, our, our CFO, Terry, or Terry flood would be very proud of, of my limited abilities. No, he'd be very proud of your growth because he's seen your, your growth. <laughs> no, and, I, yeah. I agree. He's been, he, he and a couple of guys on the team have been very helpful in that. Ah, Oh, man, I love. I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for for coming on and hanging out. And we first a couple things. Um, I'm going to let you know when I'm in Atlanta. At whatever the the company that reached out to me the other day uh, when I'm going and speaking there. Secondly, do you know Bryson of Equifax? Yeah, Bryson Kohler. Yeah. 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 Okay. Because I was going to introduce you if you didn't. If you didn't. Yeah. Like, good guy. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, you you kind of reminded me of him, and I really enjoyed him. And I was like, yeah, if you guys don't yeah. know each other, you should. Yeah. yeah, he's a great guy. The Atlanta, the Atlanta CIO CTO space. Even though you know we didn't get into it in, in this call, but we bought a business that's in Michigan, so I'm on the road three weeks out of the month. But mm -hmm. 15 years that I lived in Atlanta with this business, Cbion, Atlanta has the best, in my opinion, the best CIO network. In uh, so, if you want to get tapped into that, I know the guy. There's a there's an organization called Georgia CIO Leadership Association that is, you know, that gets together on a quarterly basis, the top, you know, 50 CIOs, CTOs in Atlanta. Oh yeah, that'd be great. I'll, I'll, I've been doing, I did like 60 cities last year, like out doing talks with CTO groups, CIO groups. Yeah. That'd be a cool one. And if, especially if you attend, cause that'd be a good, um, I'll put myself, uh, I'll reach out to them or you can connect us with that person and Chloe. And then I'll submit my uh, talk as like a, a 15, 20 minute talk, maybe give it one of the meetings. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, this is great. I really enjoyed uh, hanging out with you, Joe. Thank you so much. Yeah, Joel, I really appreciate it. Great conversation. Thank you. Talk soon, buddy. All right. Bye. Bye.